Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join Associate Pastor Reverend Dave Kiefer. Our scripture reading comes from Colossians 4. Verses 2 through 6. I'll read it as you follow along. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let us pray. God, we recognize that you are an incarnational God, that you don't simply deliver decrees from on high but that you come down, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld your glory. Lord, that you have come down that we might dialogue with you. Lord, we see in your incarnation that you are God who is literally bending over backwards, that we might know you that we might have an intimate and real relationship with you, a restored relationship with you. And Father, you've called us as your people to follow after the example of Jesus Christ, to be incarnational as he was. And these words that we just read, they're, they're a high standard, and Lord, we fall so far short. We pray in your mercy and grace that you would not just enlighten our minds, but that you would inspire our hearts to more and more effectively reflect your grace and truth in our words and in our deeds. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The the theme of this Lenten series is is watch and pray, and uh, our senior pastor, Chris Walker, uh, asked me to, to open up with uh, this first, first passage because it's all about watching and praying. And uh, as, I, as I read through it, there's basically two points that I think capture what these five verses are about. And the first is, how do we talk to God about people? And the second is, how do we talk to people about God. Because those two, as we'll see in these five verses, go hand in hand. If we want to be effective at talking wisely and winsomely to people about God, we have to be committed to persistently and faithfully talking to God about people. And so let's look 
at the first question here, because that's the first one he answers, is how do you talk to God about people? And then look at verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. The first way we talk to God about people is we do it steadfastly. We do it continuously. It's, it's a regular, ongoing conversation. Any type of effective communicators know the importance of staying in regular contact with those that they mean to connect with. And what's true in marriage, what's true in friendship, is also true in our relationship with God. We need to be steadfast in prayer, continuous in regular conversation with him. He is our God. He is living. He is active, and he is always at work, and there's always a lot to talk to him about. But notice we're not just to sort of blabber on. This isn't a one-way conversation where we just are verbally processing and uh, shooting off at the mouth constantly. But there's a particular way that we are to talk to God in prayer when we're talking to God about other people, and that is we're to do it watchfully. Notice he says in verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. In other words, we're, we're to pray with our eyes open. We're to be mindful and aware. I don't know about you, that is something I really struggle with and oftentimes am quite embarrassed of how I am so absent-minded, distracted, and self-absorbed. How embarrassing is it when you're in a group of people and you ask a question about something they've been talking about for the last minute? Or you do that around the family, you know, dinner table, or you do that with your friends. It's embarrassing because it exposes just how easily distracted and self-absorbed we are. And God is saying, if you want to have an influence in, in people's life, you got to be watchful. You got to be mindful. You got to get your head up and out and look. Because God is always at work. He's always at work in other people's lives. And, and the problem is that we don't see it. We are, we are blind because we're so focused on our agenda. We're fo- so focused on our to-do list. And he is constantly opening doors. People are constantly telling us what's on their heart. But we are so set on what we need to say and what we need to get done that we miss it. And that's why he says you need to be watchful, alert, and mindful. God is at work. He's already going ahead of us and behind us, working in people's hearts. But not only are we to be watchful, we're to be watchful with the spirit of thanksgiving. In other words, anticipating that God is not only at work, but he's at work for good. He's already doing something positive. He's already ahead of us. He's one step ahead. And when we see God at work and we begin to thank him for the small opportunities he gives us, that conversation we had with our neighbor, that drive in the car we had with our kid, right? When we start to be aware of these things, rather than just tuning out and just listening to the radio, but we're aware of the amazing opportunities we have around us, and we begin to thank God for us, we not only notice things we would otherwise be blind to, but our posture changes. From disinterested to interested, from from anxiety to confidence, because we expect God to be doing something, because he is, 
and from how do I look and what can I say to how can I serve and how can I better understand? And so how are we to talk to God about people steadfastly, watchfully, thankfully, the fourth, communally. Notice in verse 3, at the same time, he says, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word so that the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Paul's saying, we need to pray for one another. My wife is much better at this than I am. And one of the favorite things, it's a little guilty pleasure, but I sometimes read her prayer journal. And I see how she's praying for me and for the kids. It is so encouraging when we know that people are praying for us, when they haven't forgotten about us. Countless people in this church have a special place in my heart because when I tell them something they follow up and say, how did that go? I was praying for you. What a difference that makes. What an encouragement. That's what Paul says as the family of God. Let's pray for one another. We are in community. We're part of the same team. We're part of the same family. But, but the prayers that we have are not just focused on problems. They're not just focused on issues. They're focused on the God of the problem, the God of the issue, the God who is at work, always doing something good. They're evangelistic, right? Not just communal. And that's why he says, pray that for open doors to declare the mystery of Christ. And we don't have time to go into all, the, all that he meant by that because it's a huge mystery. It's a mystery. How can an almighty God who created billions of universes and billions of stars be known personally by us and become human? And how can a holy God recon, uh, be reconciled to, to sinners that want nothing to do with him? I mean, that is a mystery, but he says, pray that I may make this mystery known and that I might make it known clearly in how I ought to speak. What an opportunity we have to pray for one another, to know the conversations that are coming up. I just want to call out one couple that is particularly a blessing to me in this way, and that's Mike and Kathy Stahl. They're constantly praying for non-believers in their life, non-believers in my life. When I tell them about young life and what's going on in our home, they follow up all the time saying, how did that go? I was praying for you. I was praying for clarity of the gospel. You have opportunities to pray for your small group leaders. You have opportunities to pray for your pastors that they might be able to speak forth the gospel clearly, but not just the professional ministers. Every one of us represents Christ, and every one of us has the opportunity to share the gospel with our friends and family. And so what an opportunity we have to pray for one another as we do that, that the, that the Lord would penetrate the heart. Our words are weak, but with the power of the Spirit, our words can get into the nooks and crannies of the heart and begin to do the miraculous. So how are we to talk to God about people or to pray talk continually, mindfully, thankfully, communally, and evangelistically, right? Declare the mystery of Christ. Well, how do, how do I talk to others about God? Not just how do I talk to God, but how do I talk to others about God? And he picks up in verse 5, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, make the best use of time. Notice 
Paul is saying that your actions speak louder than your words, so be walking in wisdom. Be aware that if you are on the team of Jesus Christ, you are on the travel team. When Jesus, right before he went to heaven, he said, go and make disciples, which means we are always to be out there when the people in the stands are booing our message <laughs> and you feel intimidated because you play differently. It feels, doesn't it feel different to play in a guest stadium than to play at home? But he says, walk with wisdom toward outsiders. And, and this is convicting for me. I'll be honest with you, before I was a pastor, I did this much better. It's hard to do now. I'm surrounded by Christians all the time. We had a neighbor who committed suicide last week. We didn't even know him. My mom was the first one to discover this because she was out on a walk and this lady was just hysterical on the phone. It was the friend of the wife who had stopped by. The wife had said, can you just check on my husband? He's not answering the phone. And uh, I've been wrestling with that. Why haven't I made enough margin in my life to know my neighbors better? We need to walk with wisdom. That man was in pain and their family was in pain and I had no idea. There were two streaks down. Now, God is sovereign. He's good. But, uh, but it's a good reminder. And notice he says, make the best use of the time. I know I read those words, but they somehow get translated in my mind, which is wait for the perfect moment. And that is totally different than what it says. I don't know about you, so many of us, we're like, we're waiting for the perfect moment to say whatever we want to say. But that's not what Paul says. He says, listen, just make the best use of the time. Create the opportunity. There's no, if you're waiting for the perfect moment, guess what? It will never come. <laughs> there will always be mitigating circumstances or things that happen. It's just not right to say anything right now or to serve right now or to go over and take that thank you card right now or to take that gift card right now. There's always a reason to wait if we're waiting for the perfect time. But if we make the best use of the time, any time is the right time. So walk with wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. And then he says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. He's talking a lot about our speech here, and he uses a metaphor of, of it being seasoned with salt, um, which is an interesting thing. He doesn't say season it with sugar, but with salt. We'll talk about why is that? What's the properties of salt that were unique? Salt was a very valuable commodity back then. But before we get to the properties of salt, which, dis, dis, uh, which clarifies what it means to speak graciously, I want you to see the purpose of gracious speech. There's a so that statement, right? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Do you see what Paul's saying there? Is that when our speech is seasoned with salt, it creates dialogue. <laughs> we don't get stuck in monologue, but it creates dialogue, it creates a give and take, it creates 
a conversation where we should expect people to ask us questions and we'll actually know how to answer them. Because all of this fits together because we've been praying with open eyes and for open doors. So Paul not only says that as you speak with graciousness, that it'll create dialogue, he he helps us know that this means to, to season it with salt. And I thought, well, what's unique about salt? Well, salt's a seasoning, right? So salt makes food more flavorful. Uh, it makes all things taste better. It brings out the natural taste of the food and, and makes it better. Uh, draws out whatever is, is rubbed into it. Um, and in the same way, gracious speech is just more attractive conversation. It it pulls out the best. You know, we, we believe not just in original sin, we believe in the original goodness of creation that everyone's made in God's image. So even the worst of sinners have important things to say, can create beautiful pieces of work, can say things that are wonderful, true, and good. And, and gracious speech recognizes that and affirms that and, and welcomes that. And as it does, the conversation becomes flavorful. And people want to be known and heard and un- have their ideas confirmed in as much as it reflects the goodness of God. So salt is a seasoning, but salt is also a preservative, which I, I think helps us understand that, that salt has a special impact on the, the fallenness of our world, right? In a day without refrigeration, salt preserved meat by slowing the decay. In the same way, gracious speech slows down the decay of sin and brokenness and death. And so we got to ask, how might our gracious speech slow down the decay that people experience in their lives every day? The, the decay of fears and anxieties, of loneliness, of cynicism and pessimism, of anger and bitterness and, and hopelessness. How might my words and gracious speech do that? And if we recognize that it's to be a dialogue, it probably means we're asking questions, not just making statements. We need to do both. We need to make statements that that are true and right and give hope, but we we need to ask questions and draw out and, and reflect what people have told us. So what questions can you ask an anxious person that, that draws them out? So maybe their, their thinking, which is spinning, will slow down, and instead of reacting to their anxieties and fears, they might be able to understand them better and be able to dif- distance themselves from, the, from that anxiety and differentiate between that anxiety and who they really are. See, that's what gracious speech does. It slows down the decay. Whether it's anxiety or worry or anger and bitterness, how might gracious words melt anger and bitterness? So salt is a seasoning, it makes conversation more flavorful, it's a preservative that, that slows down the decay caused by sin and death, but, but salt's also a cleansing agent. It heals wounds. Um, I was a soccer player growing up, and when I played as a kid in the indoor soccer fields, we didn't have this turf that when you slid on it, it felt like real grass. When we slid on turf, it was like sliding across sandpaper. It was terrible. 
And so I remember coming home from indoor soccer games and literally my, my legs would be like two raw pieces of meat <laughs> just with strawberries all over them. And my mom was the worst mom in the world. And she would pour a hot bath. So what are you doing? She's like, I'm making you a bath. And then she'd take Epsom salt and pour it into the tub and said, get in. And uh, it stung. But, because that's what salt does. But why did my mom do it? And I've learned it's not because she's a terrible mother. It's because she, she wanted to bring healing. And sometimes healing hurts. And so... Salt is a cleansing agent, which means our words, when they're, when they're seasoned with grace, that doesn't mean they're going to make people feel good. They're certainly not flattering. There may be some hard things that are said that will sting and that will hurt, and they will say, I do not want to hear that. But if they're said in grace with truth and love, they're a healing agent. So that's how we're to talk to people about God, to, re- to reflect Jesus. That's how he spoke. Have you ever noticed how Jesus just drew people out in dialogue? The, the almighty God of the universe who knew every answer would ask questions. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why didn't he just like give the sp- four spiritual laws? He doesn't. How does he respond? Why do you call me good? Because it was a dialogue. So if you want to expand God's kingdom, and we need to pray with our eyes open. We need to pray for open doors. The question is, what, what are you praying for? Who are you praying for? And what will it mean for you to make the most of the opportunities God has already given you? They're probably already before you. Maybe you can pray, God, show me the opportunities that are before me that I'm too busy to even notice. Help me to pray watchfully and thankfully. And how might you create dialogue with those you seek to reach with the gospel through gracious speech that's seasoned with salt? Maybe, maybe a question to ask is, what characteristics of salt do you tend to neglect? Some of you love salt as a seasoning, right? You're fine with saying kind words. It's, it's, it's harder for you um, to allow salt to be a healing agent. Others of you, boy, you really love delivering the goods. But you forget that salt's a seasoning. And so how can you, in, in wisdom as you, as you come before the Lord and ask him to help you to talk to people better about him, how can you grow? So this is uh, what we will continue to do. We want to be a church that uh, in our own weakness and in our own sort of desire to reach the world is willing to be teachable about these things and improve in them. And so let us pray that God would help us in this. All right, amen. God, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for being the God who is incarnational.
the God who's always at work. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be men and women who, who pray with that perspective, that we, because we know you're at work, we can pray watchfully and we can pray with thanksgiving. We can pray for each other. We can pray for open doors. And then when you give them, we can actually see them. We can be people who know that the gospel's a mystery, and sometimes mysteries take a long time for people to figure out, and we could be patient but persistent. And even as Paul's writing this from prison, we can endure the persecution that comes from those who, who don't like what they're told because the gracious words are like salt in a wound. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to make the gospel clear as we ought to. Help us to walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Help us to not wait for the perfect moment, but to make the best use of the time. We need your help. We fail in this each and every day. Help us to let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that we might know how we ought to answer each person. We pray this for your glory, for our sanctification, so that we can represent Christ increasingly um, more accurately. We pray this in his name. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.